Well, welcome to the Rugby League United podcast, season one, episode one. Uh, the idea of this really is that uh, the sport's biggest names discuss their life, their career, and aspects of their mental health and their mental fitness during um, a time, really, that the world is experiencing the kind of heightened um, anxiety and and stress that few of us have ever experienced before. Um, guest number one is a Super League legend and one of Rugby League's great ambassadors and a wonderful human being, Earl Crabtree. Great to see you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, doing okay during these strange times. We actually, we spoke last, right at the start of this lockdown period, and uh, you were very ph- philosophical about how things might go. How are you a few weeks on? Um, I'm, I'm in a good place, I think, mentally as much as anything else, and uh, enjoying my time off, although it is... Um, it's a nervous time, especially in rugby league, and for my job as well. It's interesting to see the different businesses and different, um, you know, companies that are able to work and when they're expecting to go back and things like that. But rugby league and sport is a little bit different because of the mass gatherings. How do we go back as a sport? When do we go back? And for someone like me who looks after sponsors and hospitality. That seems like it's a long way off. At the moment, I'm really enjoying just having some time off. I've got a lot of jobs to do, random things like I put on a barn roof yesterday, as you do. And uh, that's keeping me entertained and keeping me busy. But it's not ideal. I want to get back to work. I want to get back to seeing my friends like anybody else. I think the important thing is you just learn to adapt, don't you? You adapt to your surroundings, what's happening in the world around you. Uh, we're human beings at the end of the day and you know we evolve and that's what we have to do I think at the moment and be pretty strict with that as well Uh, I'm enjoying it I think it's different for a lot of people I'm fortunate in where I live I live out of the way there's a bit of land you know I've got loads of things to do but you've got to think of other people as well that are in a bit of a tougher position you know I'm enjoying it to a certain degree but looking forward to normality Uh, we're going to discuss various various elements of, uh, of mental health over the course of this series. And I suppose, I mean, I, I want to focus predominantly on, on anxiety uh, today, but managing change as well is, is kind of where we are with all this. And as a professional sportsman, a guy who, I think you signed for Huddersfield when you were 17 and you had that step to, to manage that change into becoming an elite sportsman who, who people idolise and various steps through your career. Managing change, I'm guessing, is something that you're quite familiar with. Yeah, I think the times have changed a little bit. I think you're more prepared as a player coming through the ranks. I mean, I signed 15 years old. I got seen by um, Paul Dixon. Paul Dixon came to watch me down at Lockwood Park in the Holiday Cup final. Um, they liked what they saw at 15 years old, playing open age, getting my head knocked knocked off um, pretty much all the time. And they invited me to training. When, then I trained for a while and then I could play when I was 16. So I started playing academy at 16. And then um, I signed my first professional contract a year later at 17. Bearing in mind there were no scholarship or anything like that. We weren't in a system. We weren't learning the same things the rest of the team, you know, the first team and things like that were learning. It was a different era. Um, I came into the back of the old school era, the end of it, when, you know, review was held in a pub and stuff like that. So around that time, um, it changed quite quickly after that. And I think the players now are better prepared for that, but there's more pressure on them as well. And I think that's probably where the anxiety comes from a little bit more. Uh, you scrutinise a heck of a lot more than you ever was. And even at the back end of my career, after playing international level, I was going into video sessions knowing 
full well I was going to get absolutely crucified for taking one step too far getting off the line or at market play. And it got to a stage where I hated it. I literally hated going into training because I just knew I was going to get hammered by the coaches week in, week out. There's different pressure which creates different anxiety. And everyone deals with that in different ways. Um, someone like, say, like Akuma Tai, the most relaxed guy in the world, He's not, he does not care. He just like comes in, just dead blase. He deals with it a lot better. You don't know what he's feeling inside, but you know the way he deals with it. It's just a total different way. And you get other players that are talking to you before going, oh, God, I'm not looking forward to this. Oh, no. And you see them get absolutely butchered in a video session and get lower and lower in the chair and they can't hide. Uh, you know, it's, it's a tough place to be because it's so professional in that sense. But, um, you know, it, it's something you do get used to. But, it's, but you have to, yeah. It's such an individual thing, and you're right there. I mean, that's that's very funny, your kind of fear of knowing you've done something wrong, but waiting for someone else to pick you up on it. And that's kind of why, with you know, within mental health, you can't, you can't set rules for people because we're all so individual in terms of how we cope with various situations. Uh, some people will take them in the stride. Other people will have sleepless nights about them and react in, in different ways. When you broke in, do you remember your debut? For, how, what do you remember about it when you started? Not a lot. I, I played at London. My debut, I think, was about 18 years old. Uh, Tony Spiff had just come in at that time. Watched me in a few academy games. We were getting beat. I think we lost the first 17 games of the season or something. It was in our relegation year. Um, so... He gave me an opportunity. I played five games. I was playing against like two Aaron Nicow, you know, Danny Nutley at Warrington, you know, these big guys that I was an 18-year-old kid and I was a late developer as well. Always been big, but not, never particularly strong. You know, I weren't strong in the gym or anything like that. I was an 18-year-old kid. Not done like the lads do now where they train day in, day out from 15 years old, doing all weights and stuff. I was still knocking around the streets in Meltham, in my local village, you know, street corners with my friends. That's what we did. It's a different time. So I was going up against like Twerry Nikau, and he just absolutely mullered me. I just remember that. But my debut was in, um, in London. Don't remember much of it, just the fact that I got on there and I got a whack straight to the head. And I think I was in the centre for a little bit, out the way. Did enough to, for Tony Smith to just give me a couple more opportunities. He saw something in me, which I was very, very grateful for. Fortunately for me, we got relegated that year and it got a little bit easier. And I had a, an absolute brilliant year in the uh, Northern Ford at the time. Uh, stuff like that. I mean, we, we're going to cover resilience, I think, later on in this series. But, you know, moments like that, they're, in hindsight, resilience builders, aren't they? I'm sure at the time it felt like, oh, my word. This is awful. I'm way out of my depth here, but that that would have that would have gone a long way to to making you. Uh, yeah, he told me pretty early that I could get banged around, and it didn't really bother me too much. Um, I I do believe there's a fine balance there. There's a fine line. I should have been more prepared physically, mentally, skillfully as well. Um, I I never got that opportunity. I was literally just thrown in at the deep end as a young kid, and it shouldn't have happened. Not like that. I I should have been prepared a little bit more. But it was my dream. I didn't care. Just put my shirt on and off I go. What do you, think, you, what do you, think, what do you think should have happened then? How, how, how would that happen now? If you were coming through at Huddersfield now, and in terms of the mental fitness charter, I guess, and the way we look after our players, I know Andy Kelly does a great job at, at, at Huddersfield with the players as well. How is it different to when you came through? 
is miles different. And it, it's actually, the, the system in place, I don't know how many people actually know the system that it currently stands at the moment. These kids will either play at sort of school level, um, play at Siddle, places like that, the local teams, and they'll get through to a stage where they'll get started invited to uh, training camps. And it's not so much a training camp, the scholarships or sessions where, say, Andy Kelly, who's uh, head of, head, well, he's a team manager now, but head of youth performance, Steve Hardestays, uh, Luke Robinson, the assistant coach, they will take a session when they invite all these different players, all the better players, as it were, the ones deemed that would maybe potentially get an opportunity to come down and train with the Giants. They'll do that, but they'll do it for Wigan. They'll do it for Warrington. Now, there's no monopoly for clubs on any areas. It doesn't work like that. So each team, which means our pool's a lot smaller in that sense, get to approach the exact same players. So this is where there's some issues sometimes within the sport itself. We're all going for the same players. When we talk about young players that are coming through, they may have been born in Huddersfield, they may have gone and played in Huddersfield, but Wigan sent them a letter saying that they wanted them, so they went, he went to Wigan. That's how it kind of works. So they've got these scholarship sessions, the teams will look at them, so the uh, coaching staff, they'll decide which players they want to approach. So they'll approach them, send them a letter saying, look, we, we, we want you. But this player could have had several letters from several different clubs. It's then up to them and the parents mm. at 14 years of age to say where they want to go. They then go into a scholarship system where they learn the exact same things. They get coached by the same professional coaches that coach the first team, learning all the same um, gym sessions, skill sessions, fitness, and they develop. And it's a natural progression through into the first team. This prepares them for the debut. This prepares them for the rest of their life as a professional sportsman living in that environment. Unfortunately for some of them, it isn't for them. They realise it's a pretty brutal world, is rugby league. It doesn't pay very well, not at that age especially. The reward is a bit of training kit and a bit of kudos. That is about it. But it's tough. It can be a lonely place. You've got to sacrifice. You can't go out and drink with your mates and things like this. And this is the age of what, 15, 16 years old. It's, it's a lifestyle. That's what you're choosing. It's not, it's not, just, it's not a glamorous sport in the slightest. And people forget that. It's it's amazing, mate, how much it has changed. We could actually, I think, do a whole episode on on that progression from kind of kid playing sport into into elite. I mean, I I bore I bore everyone talking about my failed football career, but along those lines, and, and football is a sport. You talk about rugby league very eloquently there, but football does have that reward. Whereas yeah. if you take the sacrifices and make it, you are made for life. Now, I I came through at Leeds at a time when. You know, there, there weren't those academies. There was nothing set up. You're talking late 80s, early 90s here. I dreamed to play for Leeds. But, there were, you know, men, mental health and stuff wasn't a thing then. It just wasn't a thing. Like, you just get on with it. You don't tell anyone what's going through you. You get on with it. And I just remember I, I started hating going to Leeds. There were no academies. It was Leeds schoolboy, elite level, training three times a week, going, travelling all over. And I remember going back and saying to my dad one night, I said, Dad, I'm not enjoying this anymore. Now... I needed a pushy parent there, I guess, to say, well, the rewards are big. But my dad, being the legend he is, just said, if you're not enjoying it, go and do something else. Um, so I went and did something else. And I've regretted it for the rest of my life. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it was, it's tough, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. like it's, it, you don't give yourself an opportunity or you, you don't take it. You regret it, don't you? And I think it's, it's something that then lives with you. I don't regret one bit of what I've done as a professional by giving it a go. 
Um, I made it. I did well. I could have gone elsewhere if I wanted to. I had other contracts lined up for me. But I'm not somebody who's seeking glory. I, you know, a trophy at the side of my bed or a ring, it doesn't make me sleep better at night. I've got other things on my mind, you know. I'm a different sort of person. I don't see myself as a normal rugby player because I don't have that mentality. Um, I've probably been known as one of the softest guys in rugby league. Do you know what? I am. I couldn't care less. I love being the way I am. I find my life a lot easier, just being relaxed and not angry at everything. Yeah. And um, I did okay out of it. You don't have to be the toughest bloke in the world or the hardest nutcase in the world to be a great sportsman. There's more to it. And I'm very passionate in fundamental movement skills now. So this is um, in juniors especially, teaching them hand-eye coordination, balance, uh, confidence. Because I never had that. I never had that as a kid. And I think I would have been a lot better athlete stroke player if I'd uh, done these things earlier on in my life I'll tell you who is passionate about that Jermaine McGilvery he is one of the smartest players I've ever met he's daft he's a moody little so-and-so at times unbelievable player but what he does is invest in his kids he's investing in everything he's got a lad signed on at Man City who looks absolutely unbelievable they're training out in the garden in the garage he gets it and it's it's the parents I think responsibility or massively to invest in the children, whether it's emotionally, physically, mentally especially, because we all go through so much and kids go through so much more now, more pressure these days than ever, because we're susceptible to it because of social media. It's inbred into us now. Yeah. And these kids need more support. The old age of, like you say, where your parents just you know, get up and get on with it, has changed. Yeah. Because there's so much pressure on the children now. You can't afford to do that. It's a new generation. It's a new breed of people. We're going to talk again in an upcoming episode, I think, a little bit about managing the media and social media, which is, I mean, something I feel very strongly about because I've had it, you know, I've had it good, I've had it real bad. And I know, you know, I know you've gone through a lot of that yourself. It's just one on what you said about Jermaine McGilvery, which is fascinating. Do you think he's reaching through getting the work-life balance spot on? And because that's, again, that's something I never had to all about career. Other aspects Yeah, we've all we've all got opportunities, we've all got chances and avenues and roads and paths to go down. It's it's up to you which one you want to go down. Now Jermaine McGilvery, very successful in what he's done. Most skillful player in the world? No chance. Nowhere near. He can't pass the ball for for anything. Tell you what he can do. He runs out. He runs damn hard. He practices catching a high ball every single day because he knows he's got to do that because that's important to him. He works on positioning and making sure he's in the right position because he's not the quickest guy off the mark. But if he gets in position early, it doesn't make a difference. When he runs the ball back, he runs it as hard as he possibly can and fights to play the ball. He's focused on the things that he needs to be good at. He's sacrificed other things in his life. He's got a young family. He's dedicated towards them, dedicated to the children, because he sees it as a long-term investment. He knows rugby league is, is going to end for him quite soon, probably, in the next few years. He won't be making that sort of money, so he's being smart now. Now, he could have gone off and just gone on the lash every weekend with the lads and the boys and getting into trouble and stuff like that. He decided not to, and this is a choice that he's made, and now he's getting the rewards for it. And he will do for a very long time, I imagine. I think people have an opportunity and we use it as excuses. And we are too quick to let people off as well. Um, you know, people have a choice. They can make a decision whether doing things the right way or the wrong way. 
and unfortunately people get punished good people get punished you've been there i've been there as well where i've been punished and all i've ever done is try to do the right thing doesn't always work out but we stay loyal to ourselves and just try and crack on with it and yeah. eventually get through the other side mate and it's, it's tough as it especially the social media stuff as you well wear yeah. that that causes all sorts of anxiety and more than that it's depressing at times and you know all about that that's one of the great things i read actually in the in the coach john wooden book that is kind of my bible at the moment the old you know the famous old american college basketball coach is a you know a real a real deep thinker and philosopher and the great bit in there about you know being true to yourself and your character because your character is what you are your reputation is what everyone else says you are so as long as you stay true to your character, none of that really matters, does it? Because yeah. that's what drives you forward. I, we, we've touched upon it a lot. And I, want, I do want to talk about it in a second about, you know, the what, I call it what next anxiety, which is very much the case in Italy because you do have that short career where you don't, it's not like a professional football. You can just retire and have a look mm. at it. You, you have to get something else in place. I'll come on to that in a sec. I just want to focus a bit more right, on your, your career. Looking back, actually, I think 04 was probably your breakthrough year, wasn't it? Um, from the job start, that period, the cup final a couple of years later. Yeah. Um, and then you like that. I guess that five year spell when you ended up playing for, for England 09, that was when you were really firing that period. Mm. Yeah, I was I'm very lucky to go through a few ups and downs uh, with different coaches. Um, I, I realised quite early on that I didn't want to coach. Um, didn't like coaches, to be honest with you. I didn't like their attitude, uh, the way they were with me, where they were with other players. It's not my. I'm not like that. I'm too nice, you know. I'm too. But I realised as well later on in life that there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just brutally honest. I'm honest with people. I don't lie. I don't play games. I just get. I try and get on with it. I realised that coaches play games, massive mind games, and it's so frustrating. I went from Tony Smith, who was the master of it, who Tony Smith I got a lot of respect for because he taught me more than any other coach, any other, but he also messed my head up more than any other coach as well. Um, he just wanted to toughen me up. Now, as you went back, so we go back to before when you were saying some people probably need a rocket up the backside, some people need an arm around the shoulder. Yeah. I'm the arm around the shoulder I always was. Because I was a young kid, not very confident, didn't believe in myself. So somebody giving me a rocket up the backside just sort of reaffirmed that. It, I wasn't good enough. I knew I wasn't good enough. I needed something else. So I battled through with Tony Smith. Then into John Sharp, who came in and tricked me like, like dirt at first. Because Tony had obviously told him I weren't tough enough, I weren't fit enough. And then um, eventually Nathan Brown came in. Now Nathan Brown... Total diff totally different. He came in, he sat down with me and he just went, right then. Senior players, what, what are you good at? What are you good at? What are your strengths? So I sat down, I had a little thing. What are my strengths? What am I good at already? Pretty quick for a big guy. Got good footwork, got a great offload. Love an offload. Um, bounce people off, attract people. He went, right, yeah, brilliant, good. He goes, so what are, you, what are you not good at? Not great, under fatigue. I tire easily. Weren't fit enough. I knew that. Um, and he goes, okay, right, well, we'll focus on your strengths, we'll work on your weaknesses. Okay. So every session, Scott Griggs is flying through on me, Luke Robinson's flying through to offload too. I'm bouncing people off, attracting people, we're doing turn-up players off me. So we use my strengths. And then on my weaknesses, we did extra fitness, we did extra mobility skills, you know, sort of like running around, uh, footwork, things like that. I improved. And not only that, I had somebody supporting me, somebody who had my back, arm around my shoulder saying, you're doing better. And that's exactly what I needed. 
Now, in con contrast to this, Luke Robinson, the little troll that he is, the hardest bloke I've ever met in my life was getting a rocket up his backside every day. So he's putting an arm around my shoulder and giving Luke Robinson a rocket up his backside. Me and Robbo speak about this, and Robbo say that's exactly what he needed because he just switched off and um, he, had, he just made silly mistakes because he had a rush of blood to the head. He needed that. He needed somebody on his case constantly, and I didn't. And that's when I realised people are different, need treating in different ways because they react differently. It's unique to their own you know, personalities. He got the best out of me. He literally took me from being a decent Super League player to an international. And I will never, ever forget that. And I also played 80 minutes under him as well. 80 minutes in playoffs against Hull for a prop forward. I'm like, I look back, I did all right, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I probably won't get the plaudits It's all the credit as a lot of other players that have won trophies. I could have won trophies if I'd have gone elsewhere. I played for my hometown. I'm very, very proud of that. And I, I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a tough ride. It's been a roller coaster. But I've seen lots of things which have probably moulded me into the person I am now, which is probably more rounded than I would have been. So um, yeah, I'm pretty happy about that as well. Uh, talk to me a little bit Earl, about the end to your England career. You speak about it with great pride there. And I get the sense that there was unfinished business for you because you broke in. I think you were left out at Four Nations 2011. And I remember because you know, I used to see a lot of you around about that time. In 2013, you ended up working with me on the media coverage of the 2013 World Cup, having been plastered on all the billboards as one of England's star men. And then you were left out of the squad. And I know how much that hurt you. Um, yeah. I was thinking back on that when I was, I was kind of preparing for, for speaking to you today. Now, that was yeah. a period that I know was hard and must have must have prompted anxiety and worry and stress and maybe a bit of anger. Take me back to how you were feeling though and how you dealt with it. Now, as you, you know me, I'm pretty laid back and um, I, I've always taken things in my stride and I think that's probably one of the issues with me, you know, in the past is that I never questioned anything. I just, I'm an easy person. I was always an easy person as a player for a coach to walk over because I just like, yes, sir, yes, sir, no worries. You know what I mean? I'm sort of that sort of person where I'm not in a position to argue it. And maybe that was a, a fault of my own. But again, it goes back to being you know, true to yourself. I am that sort of person, or was. I wouldn't have ever challenged it. Um, it was Steve McNamara that was the coach at the time. And that was absolutely fine. And, and I'd had it on a few occasions. And like Jamie Peacock had um, done his knee, blown his knee out. And um, I, was, I was on fire. And we were playing against the um, Exiles team. And we were getting into the squad, and it was going to be not, you know, chosen. And obviously, there's big names like James Grahams and stuff like that. And James Peacock could literally come back and played one week before after doing his knee straight in the squad. He's a legend, don't get me wrong. Um, he, he, he's always going to play, but I've been playing, and I think I scored three tries in two weeks before. But you know, if I've ever given myself a chance to play for England, it's right now, and I didn't get selected. And I was like, this is an absolute joke. I can't physically do any more. I'm scoring tries, playing really well. We're winning every week. How do I get selected? And it literally came down to my face didn't fit. It just did not fit. He didn't want me playing. It's quite simple. You know, if you don't want playing, that's absolutely fine. And that eventually just went later on into my career and uh, going into other selections. I got dropped uh, for different games. I got dropped in um, 
in Australia, played 15 minutes to give Sam Burgess a rest one day. That was good uh, against Australia. And then I got dropped versus Papua New Guinea uh, because Steve McNamara wanted to go with a team that could pre-line pass. I was a post-line offloader. So Daryl Griffin went ahead of me, which we laughed about because he was not a pre-line passer. Neither, neither of us were really, to a certain degree. It was just an excuse. And I just found myself in a position where I was just getting the most ridiculous excuses and uh, it, it just became a bit frustrating and always felt like I'd always get looked over like that, overlooked. And I did. And even so much as when I, it came to that selection, I played all year and uh, it was Tom Burgess, actually, that was, uh, I think he got picked ahead of me. Now, Tom had played about six games in Australia he, he was just sort of coming through. This was before he, he started absolutely killing it, by the way. So just as he was sort of breaking into to the Sydney team, South Sydney team, and um, I just couldn't believe he got selected ahead of me. I was a bit gutted about it. It was an insult to me, but I understood why he put him in the squad because he was sort of an emerging star at this point, or becoming an emerging star. Um, but I was already there, playing week in, week out, playing well uh, in one of the best teams. So much so that they were doing, like you say, we did an advert for it, which I got cut out of. And yep. I even saw the video producer not too long ago, and he, he, he even mentioned it. And this was only about six months ago. Um, yeah, I was absolutely gutted to, to be treated like that, in that way. And it honestly brutal the way they speak to you as well. I've had it where I've been told that I'm dropped. not done anything wrong. Um, just this is the direction I want to go in. So how do you stand the chance of getting into the squad? How did you... Um, uh, sorry, mate. How, how did you reconcile that? Um, it's, it's... I mean, the, the media, as you know, and I'm going to ask you about the media, if you You know, it's brutal. It's, it, it's, it's non-personal and, you know, decisions are made, you know, regardless of the person involved. Sports exactly the same. You're saying you felt your face didn't didn't fit, and how do you reconcile it when it's a, a case of personal preference? Now, I, I mean, I I did a I did, I did a TV job that I loved doing the football highlights on Channel Five. I was supposed to be doing that for three years. I I got told two years after that via a voicemail message that they didn't want me to come back for year three just because the, the, they had a new boss who wanted someone else to do it, and it was nothing down to what I knew I was doing a good job. And I. I mean, I'm interested in how you reacted and reconciled because I, you know, I, I, that really hurt. I, I dealt with it badly. I look back and I dealt with it by, you know, by drink and, you know, not, and it, you know, it bruised my ego and it's, you know, sport like media is like, you know, full of egos and I was really, really down about it all. And eventually I just had to think, you know, it's, it's actually nothing to do with me. This is just the industry I work in. So how did you pick yourself up and keep doing what you were doing for your club? I think I, it's a tough one because I can't really remember. So I remember at the time of it being so so very tough to take. But believe it or not, I've been let down a few times before. And it, it just, the sport, in the way it is sometimes, although it's so professional, it's so amateur in ways it treats people. Mm. The good thing for me is I've had a lot of this throughout my career. I've been treated total, in some horrible ways. Um, but it, it's toughened me up in ways that people probably don't realise. Um, I've got used to different people. I understand people a lot more and the little games that go on and uh, coaches and players, I, I know what mindset they're in and stuff like that. It's made me understand things a little bit more. So I find things like that very easy to deal with. Um, I think a lot of it's perspective as well. 
yeah. sometimes it's great to put life in, into perspective and I've been able to do that and I've, uh, I was a father very young um, at 19 I'm my daughter and that helped me believe it or not helped me put things into perspective a lot easier and uh, I look back on things like that I'm very lucky that I've done some amazing things in my life I played Super League I played over 400 games played 18 times for England and walking out against Australia is the pinnacle of any player's career was it the most enjoyable for me nowhere near do I think about that as one of my memories that I'll treasure forever? Not really. I'll tell you what was, NFP season when we won every single game with my mates. We didn't even have training kit. We just rocked up in whatever we wanted to. We had such a laugh that year. I enjoyed it more than any other year in my career, well, even playing for England. That's the second time you've mentioned it during this chat, training kit. Yeah. <laughs> it's, honestly, <laughs> it's, it's funny how... Certain things stick with you. It's not all about the big occasion. And it hasn't been for me. It's sometimes the smaller ones. I'm a, I'm a homebird, as it were. I, you know, I love where I live. I never wanted to leave. And to get promoted back into the into Super League with my best mates, that's how it felt. We were out every weekend enjoying ourselves, you know, having a drink, celebrating. That's what it was about. That, that was what the game was about for me. I was wearing the Giants top, playing with my mates. It was absolutely brilliant. So to go to England... I didn't feel like it fitted in, really. I didn't have that click. I was on my own quite a lot of the time because I was coming from Huddersfield. Everyone was either Wigan, Saints or Leeds. Um, and, it, it, and I found it tough. I found it tough to fit in in that sense. Everyone were nice, don't get me wrong. They just weren't, I don't think we're on the same level um, in, in certain ways. We're just different people. I think it's a little bit different now from what I've heard with Jermaine and things like that. Uh, with Wayne Bennett being there before, he just, he just said it was, t- it was totally different in a really good way. The game has changed since I was out there. I don't regret it for one second. I've had a good time. Um, but these bigger things in life, honestly, this is just the game of rugby league. And I think we take it far too seriously sometimes and it puts too much pressure on people. Um, we're not as big as what we try and make out we are. We're very, very low on the spectrum of sports in itself. Um, even going through this, I think you kind of realise that uh, we could be bigger, we could be better, but we're not as much, you know, there's, there's bigger things in life. I mean, this surely this puts things in a perspective what's happening now with the pandemic. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a reality check, I think, for some people. I guess the key, the key aspect there is that perspective on life uh, for all of us softens anxiety because if we have that good balance and good sense of perspective, then our anxiety about things like that that actually don't matter that much. Uh, we, we manage yeah. to keep that in check. Don't we? That actually leads me really nicely onto what I wanted to discuss as I was coming to the end of this. It's, it's kind of the, what I call it what next anxiety. And I, I'm a little bit there at the moment in terms of what I want to do with the rest of my life. Certainly as a professional sportsman, rugby league player, you have that. Uh, I'm sure you'll have it now with what's happening. You will have had it at the end of your career. And... Um, just talk to me about that transitional phase and in particular because I know uh, you started doing a, a lot of TV work and that was another one where you thought perhaps that was going to lead somewhere and for, for whatever reason that didn't mm, yeah that again that was a do you know I, I look back on that my, my uh, off field career in the media uh, with uh, a great happiness in the sense that I loved it I absolutely loved it honestly we did the um, World Cup final 
and I got thrown in at the deep end with a cameraman walking around the Kiwi team. Never done anything like that. I think I might be one at first to actually do that. And it was a last, literally last second uh, decision. We weren't meant to be doing that. So I'm running on between like Sonny Bill and Isaac Luke and players like that, Cassiano. And I'm like, what the hell, what the hell am I doing here? I'm walking around, just rapping to myself. I lost my cameraman. I looked absolutely ridiculous. I looked like a cross between the Jolly Green Giant and Eminem, just <laughs> walking around, like rapping to myself. I didn't know where my cameraman was. I walked off and I got the biggest buzz I'd ever had out of rugby league. Doing something different, found out 2.2 million are watching that. That gave me a lot of confidence. That you know, I had to do that in front of 2.2 million, not even knowing what I were doing as such. Front in, never practiced it. And um, I look back at that, and that is one of those memories I will treasure genuinely because it gave me so much confidence and belief in myself that I can do that. I can talk in front of people, I can talk in front of thousands. It doesn't bother me anymore. And I love that feeling, not getting that anxiety before, that nervousness. But Later on after that, I, fortunately and unfortunately, I had the birth of my son. And my son is, uh, is awesome. He's a, he's a little legend. He has put life into perspective again for me because, unfortunately, I was born with a few complications. And um, these complications, I don't want to particularly go into them publicly too deep. Will, they will affect him for the rest of his life and affect me, his family. And um, he'll probably need a little bit extra attention for the rest of the life. He's doing really well. He's a, he's, he's a cool little kid. Um, but he went through a bit of a difficult time. Now, at the same time, I was rung up by the BBC to do a Challenge Cup game. And I said, my, my little lad was due this weekend. So I had to turn it down. I said, no problem. We'll ring you back when the next games are on and we'll get you back in. I never, ever got a phone call after it. And that was disappointing. And not disappointing because I can deal with rejection. Don't get me wrong, I'm used to it. But um, not even to get a phone call to say, we're, you know, we're going to go in a different direction. You know, we want to use somebody else. We want to even it up with an Australian player or, you know, something like that. I got absolutely nothing. And that, when you're, you're working for people and you are actually trying your hardest to do something, even if you're not good enough, deserves a little bit of respect to say, look, it's just not working out. And you deal with that because you're honest people. That's what you do. You front up and just get on with it, talk to people and move on. Um, I wouldn't have been bothered, generally not, be, not, not too concerned. I've been disappointed. But, you know, you brush yourself down, you get back up and you get going again. Perspective has been a big thing for me. Um, that's actually the same year. My dad had a stroke a few weeks later after my son was born. And then Rick Stone told me he didn't see me in the salary cap for the season after. Mm. So I had a bit of a difficult year. But again, all that put in perspective. And it's one of the, weirdly, the best things that could have happened to me. It's changed my life in a different way. Um, I've got a bit more freedom now. I love the role that I'm doing. Never expected it. Uh, it's been a strange transition. But uh, one I probably needed. I'm just thinking what it must have been like in that year and you you kind of exude characteristics of a guy who who rolls with it in, in life but we all have what we call a, a stress bucket and we talk about it a lot in mental health you know you know stress bucket if you you know you picture it like you know watering down a bucket and all your various stress coming in you need that little tap you need that outlet otherwise it gets to the top and it boils over there needs to be the constant tap letting it out you know for me mine is exercise um mm. you know i'll go for a run if i'm feeling stressed 
what do you how did you cope how did you make sure those things never got on top of you all right so most people in the stress bucket is um they'll they'll have a little hole where it trickles out at the bottom yeah. i'm lucky i'm a little bit different to that um i've got a shotgun anyway i've got shotguns i'm in a clay pigeon shoe and i've got loads of holes in mine right <laughs> so it spills out everywhere and that is in it is um it's perfect for me and the analogy there is i have different outlets everywhere yeah. and they're all in different ways i don't have one particular thing that i do so i go cycling i go running i go to the gym um, i speak to my mates all the time i'm quite fairly an open person i've got a really good friends network i've got great parents apart from my dad he's a bit harder to talk to i won't tell him everything but um i've got different different outlets everywhere I'm a, I'm a very social person um, I, I enjoy going out and enjoying myself. I love food. You know, I find a way to take my mind off things with different things. I have different outlets. Exercise is the biggest one. But another one, which is, is, is big for me, uh, people don't realize it, as in coffee, going to drink coffee. That is the biggest outlet for me. And we were just having a coffee just a few weeks ago. And that genuinely is my biggest outlet. Going to meet people, have a coffee, chat, get either vent or get things off your chest or listen to other people and you know their um either problems or what's going great in their lives it isn't always negative but we have a coffee club that meets every every morning give or take before work and that's andy kelly steve hardest there uh, jimmy seabright craig mosdale who's a paramedic doing a great job at the moment and uh, chris cullimore who's uh, he did some stuff at the scholarship and uh, still plays as well meet every morning and uh, we have a coffee, we have a chat, we vent, we put the world to rights, we counsel each other, and that sets us up for the day perfectly. That is probably my biggest outlet at the moment. Apart from that, kids, yeah. just looking after kids and doing stuff. And honestly, I, I'm a little lad. For a few hours on my own, it doesn't matter what's going on in the world because he just honestly puts a massive smile on the face. I should put a help asterisk by your using, using caffeine to deal with things. It's the so. <laughs> It's the social element, the offloading, the sharing, the being there for each other rather than the one in the cafe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just a byproduct. I would never recommend ever doing that. Um, I just want to, I want to finish, Earl, on, on the kind of now and the future and the what next, kind of the what next anxiety in the new world because you mentioned at the very start your role at Huddersfield is selling corporate hospitality for an event that is no longer taking place. So... What kind of stresses are you going through right now? How has things changed for you? Are you still, I don't even know if you're still in the job, are you? Or are you, how are you looking beyond this? Currently furloughed, like a lot of people. Uh, it's the right thing for me at the moment. I'm, I'm doing like everybody else, 80% of my wage, which is, is good in a way. It's not ideal, is it? It's not great putting the, uh, the country into even more debt. Um, but it's a means to an end at the moment to get through this horrible period that we're in. Um, I'm, I'm enjoying having the break. I've been very busy at home fixing things, doing things and keeping myself busy. It's a great time in that sense, but I want to be back to work. I've got a long road ahead of me. I've got plans with uh, what I do with, with uh, my house and hopefully getting some more in the future. I'm currently doing um, a business management course as well, which is going into a master's degree. So my first essay has just gone in yesterday, which I'm really happy about. Um, my job at the moment, is right i don't know when i'm going to be back i just don't have a clue i literally don't have a clue it's it's very strange it's a scary time for people i do believe however 
I'm in a very fortunate position because I've worked for the Giants for the last three years, meeting corporate businesses, partners, doing hospitality, sponsorship, motivational speaking. I've met a lot of businesses and I've got a lot of friends. So I won't ever be short of work, I wouldn't have thought. But what I do now is my dream job. It really is. I never thought it would be. I'm enjoying what I do now or have done more than rugby. It's strange to say that. Do I miss playing? Not in the slightest. I really don't. But I still have that little nagging bit in the back of my mind because that's what I did for most of my life. Literally most of my life. Um, I'll always be a rugby player. always have been a rugby player. Love the sport. But I think it's, emb it's embracing the future, which is important. I mean, a lot of players in the past, and I've seen it, I've seen them go through hell. And it's because they're holding on to the past. Yeah. You can't do it. You can't hold on to the past. It literally has to, you have to let go of it and Even embrace the future. Embrace the, the battle. <laughs> and it's tough, isn't it? But it's not that easy for everybody. I'm very fortunate I, I played rugby. It isn't the worst thing in the world. You know, nothing seriously bad's happened to me. I can let that go and embrace moving forward. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not saying it's going to be rosy. It's not dead easy for me. Don't get me wrong. But I'm enjoying it. It's a different challenge. And um, looking forward to the future. Who knows what's going to happen? Very quick final thought then. What, when we get through this, which we will, um, what do you think rugby league will look like? And what, what do you think the world will look like? And what, what, what do you think... What do you think it should? What do you think we should all learn from all this? So I think we should learn um, that we have to be more respectful of the world, the planet. And I can go into, you know, I'm very philosophical, me. I've seen a different side to people, seen a different side to the world, how much better it is at the moment because it's more relaxed, it's more enjoyable, it's peaceful. Everyone's getting along, just getting on just fine. I imagine... Uh, crime and stuff like that and uh, deaths is relative with uh, the amount of people that are not going out now as well I think there will be some changes in that in a sense for this period of time what do I realistically think will happen we'll go back to normal I don't think anything will change yeah. I think a lot of people will talk about it, and this is me just being cynical I think we've seen it as it is but nothing will change everyone will go back to being the way they were rushing around it'll get busier it'll get worse but for this period of time, it's like uh, it's like a different world, and I'm actually enjoying what's happening, as in the way people are. Um, it, it'd be just good to get through the other side of this and stop the deaths, because it is ultimately it's it's brutal. Where that leaves us as a sport, I don't really know. It's a scary time for our sport. 16 million from uh, the treasury is great, but it's a loan at the end of the day. We've got to pay that back in some way, shape, or form. Tough time for our sport. I mean, it's hard enough to attract players as it is. So how do we do that as a sport, make sure that we attract players? I think for me personally, and I've seen it before, I've seen like my brother's quite successful in his own right. Played for the Giants Academy. But he's, he's gone off and he's, um, he's doing plumbing. But he's quite successful. He's got a lot of lads working for him, does really well. He can earn a heck of a lot more money doing something like that than he can playing rugby. It's a lifestyle that you choose. You don't play for the glamour and it's trying to attract players. I think we're going to go through a tough period ourselves at the moment. You know what? When I, when I used to stand and watch, watch Leeds or sit down and they were going through tough times and close to getting relegated, and I, my mates would always say, why are you putting yourself through this every week? It's like, you've got to go, you've got to embrace the tough times. Otherwise, yeah. because that enriches the good times. You can't experience that heightened 
sense of enjoyment of the good stuff without without persevering through the bad and i guess well i guess for both of us and the world are kind of kind of realizing that right now yeah well hopefully we get through the other side of everything quite quickly especially i know for you you've been through through a lot of tough stuff probably a lot worse than what's going on at the moment for yourself as an individual but you realize that there's bigger things in the world that affect more people and it's uh, it, it's important that we all do the right things to get through the right get through the other side so we get um that opportunity to live our lives again as we want to um yeah i think we take it for granted don't we the things that we get and you know this is a bit of a kick up the backside for a lot of people You've been a great guest, Earl. I knew you would be. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you for the last however long. Uh, <laughs> Always, mate. You know I love speaking to you. Uh, so thank you, Earl Crabtree, joining us on the uh, on the Rugby League United podcast, which will be back next week. Right, I'm moving my legs. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs>